I think the operating manual for Bruce Linton is written in a language I don't comprehend. And what I mean by that is that I have no capacity to tell you how you should live. It's because I find it incomprehensible how I should live. Like if you went to Amsterdam and went to those coffee shops, it's legal to sell the cannabis, but that cannabis officially came from nowhere. I mean, you know, it's hilarious. My parents, I was unsure how to tell them, you know what, guess what, your, your, your son's going to start having a business growing weed was a weird, how do you approach that conversation? They go around telling every retired person they ever meet, you got to try cannabis. It'll help your knee. It'll help your shoulder. It'll help you sleep. It'll help you not call your kids nine times a day to tell them about the terrible weather coming because you won't be so damn anxious. All right, welcome back to the Raz Report. Truly excited to have an old friend, good friend, on um, one of the big forerunners in the cannabis space. Everyone knows him. I don't even have to do an introduction, but uh, Bruce Linton started Tweed, Canopy Growth, went to Constellation, and he's done a bunch of other things uh, since then, consulted to various companies from Vario to Gage to um, probably 30 others. This guy... I would say the cannabis industry is around, especially in Canada, because of what Bruce did in the beginning days and the beginning years and made it what it is. And now, you know, we're legal in the U.S., I guess not federally. But, um, you know, very excited to have Bruce on. I have a million questions. But, Bruce, thank you for coming to the Raz Report. From your Miami. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Dropping oh it now, Miami, man. But uh, that's a whole different interview. I'll yeah. interview you. Hey, maybe they'll play that clip right now. Go to the B roll that Rick Ross made me rap or he wasn't going to perform. It was. I don't know how to shoot me. It's so cool. I have a cool. I like to play. And I don't have any rapping skills, but I came up with something. So. Yeah. No, it's solid. I mean, yeah, that was. You were right there. You've been there. So, Bruce. What do you got to say for yourself? How, how did you get into cannabis in the first place? Well, I, I think like a certain fraction of the population, um, you can hear for a little while about changes in public policy. And you could hear that they're going to license like the ability to have cell phones and you could buy certain elements of that uh, wireless space and you could make a huge business. Cannabis to me was very similar, right? We're going to go from putting people in jail or trying to suppress to regulating. And to me, anytime the government switches from being a oppression engine to a regulation engine, it's a tsunami of opportunity. And we're seeing that. It doesn't have to be Canada or the US. Let's look at like the Netherlands. They're just changing their policy right now. The Netherlands, everybody thinks cannabis has been legal in the Netherlands forever. No, not at all. Not at all. Like if you went to Amsterdam and went to those coffee shops, it's legal to sell the cannabis, but that cannabis officially came from nowhere. And so what they're doing now is instead of like ending up with all the British Columbia weed and all the Albanian weed and all the Vietnam weed, they're buying, they're actually setting up a program where they said, we're going to grow cannabis in the Netherlands and sell it in those shops. And what we're going to do is create jobs in the Netherlands. We're going to actually regulate that cannabis. We're going to inspect it and we're going to probably make a little more money on the taxes. And so that public policy change in the Netherlands, I think is going to be what we see in all of Europe with four or 500 million people start to see cannabis produced. So what attracts me is when regulation moves from enforcement of laws which are stupid to the adoption of a taxation and education program which is reasonable, that is a good market to enter whether it's cannabis, wireless, you pick it. Got it. Got it. So 
is that what you saw way back when, when you got into the space then? Yeah, that was, uh, I'm such a loser nerd. What attracted me was that um, uh, I was in a situation where I was kind of like hanging out, reading uh, newspapers, physical newspapers, believe it or not, about 12, 15 years ago. And there was an article in one of them that said, in Canada, the police chiefs of Canada are no longer going to enforce the marijuana laws because they're impossible to comprehend who's a patient and who's not. And my thought was, at that time, we had a Republican equivalent of government. If the police are pissed off, they're going to change the rules to make the police happy because the people who vote for Republicans like happy police. And so as I dug into it, what they wanted was a platform where you could produce cannabis in a large format and ship it to patients rather than patients growing it themselves. Because what had occurred is the patients growing it themselves thing turned into bikers growing it for them. And the bikers might be growing a lot more than when they were legally allowed, but they had kind of a possible legal angle to get out. And so that was a, are you kidding me? I know a lot of people who like a lot of cannabis. If you could actually grow it legally and ship it directly to them, that would be a good, good opportunity. And from there, in a period of about seven years, um, 16 countries followed that thought process. Places like Italy, Poland, Germany, you know, literally Australia, you start running through the list. When they said like in Malaysia, rather than killing people for growing cannabis for patients, which was actually considered the best practice, why don't we regulate it? Like those are major markers of policy change. Absolutely, so then I guess one of those, when you, cause I remember at one of the breakfasts I went with you and you were speaking, I don't think you were a cannabis smoker or even like tested no. her. Well, Am I, I, right? I, I, I listen, like I'm a fan of trying things. What I realized is I was not really great at smoking weed. And what I mean by that is um, I probably should use it on a daily basis to medicate the fact that I am for sure somewhere on ADHD, OCD. There's a lot of stuff going on. But what happens is it shuts me down very rapidly. And then I, re I, I have a sensation in that scenario of not having the ability to control the circumstance I'm in. And so I get paranoid as shit. And yep. so um, for me, it wasn't great, but I'm, I'm the sort of person that like, um, I've been going to pride parades way before I realized I had a gay kid. And the reason is I think the operating manual for Bruce Linton is written in a language I don't comprehend. And what I mean by that is that I have no capacity to tell you how you should live. And it's because I, I find it incomprehensible how I should live. Every day is a new adventure. And so for me, I felt everyone should have the choice to enact what they felt worked for them, including cannabis. And if you, you know, I don't think that um, if you are not being satisfied with the medications provided by your physician, you were able to access cannabis and it caused you to sleep better, have less pain, be in a less anxious state, whatever worked for you, I don't want you to have any element of remorse or guilt about what medicines work for you. And so that was really my bias and where I became a super crazy advocate was there so many people trying to tell others how to live, what they should take, what they shouldn't take. And I, I just, um, I dislike that. Like, um, I don't understand how people can overlay guilt on others who become feeling better because of a product or choice they make. Yeah, no, it's very interesting because the connotation around cannabis seven years ago is very different than today. I mean, my mom and I actually, we take the same one. It's a right. cannabis salve for, I have for shoulder pain, she has it for back. She, she went and got all this stuff you know, and the only thing that worked for her is this can this something called extreme cannabis, and and I actually have given it to two NFL players because they're like, 
it puts the pain away. And I don't know why. I just rub it on. And it's amazing. My mom is one of the longer term patients now of formally tweeting canopy because she was unable to ever sleep. I remember my mom always being awake my entire life. She was the last one to bed and always awake in the morning. And now she's been using for probably seven years, uh, basically an equivalent uh, proportion of THC and CBD in a liquid drop at night, 45 minutes before she goes to sleep. My dad complains now that she sleeps too loudly and too much. And so like, I see that outcome and you know, it's hilarious. My parents, I was unsure how to tell them, you know what? Guess what, your, your, your son's gonna start having a business growing weed. Was a weird, how do you approach that conversation? So I brought our then head grower to meet with my parents when they were in town. And in short order, they went from unsure about it to becoming a patient to now it's embarrassing. Like it's been embarrassing for seven years. They go around telling every retired person they ever meet, you gotta try cannabis. It'll help your knee, it'll help your shoulder, it'll help you sleep. It'll help you not call your kids nine times a day to tell them about the terrible weather coming because you won't be so damn anxious. No, it's uh, it's a great point. I mean, Rick Flair at the last Benzinga yeah. Cannabis Com- Capital Conference, he was saying he takes a- he took Ambien every night, yeah. and and I may be guilty of taking Ambien. Last night I didn't, and I couldn't sleep literally. And I haven't tried a cannabis solution to go to sleep. You got it, man. And but but um, from our trials early on, the um, the notion people want to start with a high CBD, start with an equal proportional ratio, one to one. And so, like, I would say if you start with uh, three and three, three milligrams THC, three CBD, and see where you go from there. Liquid, 45 minutes before you go. Like, try get it orally. You know, you can smoke it, but it's, it's going to be just durable. But, like, yeah, Rick was very clear about that stuff. And, you know, when you hear Mike Tyson at your event talking about the fact that, you know, alcohol was a bad idea for him, but it was socially considered the right way to go. Right? He, he, he had a lot of years where he was okay because he was drinking. And then when he switched to weed, he was way better. Absolutely. He said it's calmer. His family likes him better. <laughs> um, speaking of that and, and labeling products, labeling products, the cannabis space, well, at least in Michigan, there it's maybe I was on a, a sample thing. I, is there a good reason why an edible, one edible should ever be a, more than 100 milligrams? I, I cannot personally. So I think it's very bad for the market to have the capacity for people to be a one and done customer. And, and what, what I mean by that is, what if the wrong person buys the wrong product and they get a 100 milligram beverage or chocolate, and that's the last time they're ever gonna buy? And so I, I just, I don't comprehend it. One of the things, Canada did some things right, Germany did some things right, America's done some things right. But one of the things I, I still think is appropriate in Canada is they've kept the dosage low, so you actually have to choose to consume multiple if you're gonna go way into the deep end. And, and I just don't understand it. In the early days, I was down... Um, well, that's smart. I think that's smart. You, it, yeah. Well, well, what's the upside of uh, somebody being demolished for 24 hours and never buying again? Being beyond demolished and yeah. going to the ER thinking they took... I have a friend, think they took a 5 milligram. It was actually 150 milligram. Couldn't move, couldn't walk, ambulance, throwing up, yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. No, I, I, I think... Um, I think if you're going to regulate, you should say the point of regulating anything is so that people can understand what they're buying and become reliable customers. That's actually good for the industry. Yeah. Okay. And, so that, you know, you, that, you can actually turn alcohol into like super potent, unbelievable, inhalable, put it up your, it's fucking blow your brains out more than cocaine kind of thing, but that's not legal because it's not good for the industry. 
Um, I, I don't understand why. And uh, Brendan, that was uh, one of the founders of uh, Tilray, in the early days, there was a thousand milligram chocolate bar oh my God. on the market. No and way. Uh, he bought one and kept it because who needs a thousand milligram when it's unregulated chocolate bar? Oh my God, you're going to die. I mean, well, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, fuck, oh God, it's unbelievable. So like Michigan is, you know, that's a market I was pretty up on because uh, I was chairman of Gage. And, yep. you know, we were opening up cool stores, Gage, cookies, all this stuff. Yep. Um, but it, it, it went great and then horrible. And now it appears to actually be coming back as a solid market because a lot of the private companies that said we're doing fine weren't doing fine. Yeah. And I think what you're seeing in Michigan now is actually a return to the development of a business where products are going to be sold more rationally. They're going to be presented in the good st formats and stores. And that it's going to start clicking up. Like I'm... If I was going to put like an optimism level on Michigan right now, for the last year, it's been down, down, down. Right now, for me, it's up, up, up. Yes. Yeah, so, um, someone also said like a l less of the legal stuff from California is coming yeah. in. So the distillate prices went up. I don't know how illegal stuff comes in from California. Like who's who's the they that brings it well, in? Like I don't understand well, any of that. So but he, well, well, let's let's use New York as a study case for you. So what, okay. what's happening in New York? New York said we're going to have a party. And about 14 minutes later, stores opened everywhere, selling all the shit that came in from California and everywhere else. And the really interesting part is what happened is the um, OG bike delivery services guys got demolished because people okay. could go to a store. There were like a thousand plus stores they could stop in. So people mm -hmm. got used to forefront or storefront retail, no longer calling the dealer, bikes not coming by. Well, those guys got demolished, but they weren't the guys running the storefronts. Now what's happening is behind those illegal storefronts run from the California and they go to every state. As soon as the state says we're having a party, these dudes show up and make a zillion bucks for the first 12 or 18 months so things are happening. Then what happens is the, the system gets stood up, enforcement starts to happen and these guys leave and go to the next state. But the big change is now consumers in New York are expecting storefront service. Wow, does that help the old school way or hurt them? It hurts them. It gets people ready for retail. And so I think in every market, there are very entrepreneurial, like the most entrepreneurial business person in the world is one who's a criminal because they don't even have to worry about laws. All they have to return, do is a return on invested capital. Right. That makes you very entrepreneurial. Um, and so you can make a terrific return on invested capital, bringing dislip from California into the Michigan market or opening up illegal retail in the U.S. market. And you will make all your money in the first two months and stay open for 12. Got it. And so that's what's going on in New York then. Yeah, but they, they, you saw California came to yep. Michigan. Michigan all of a sudden, didn't ha they didn't have enough distillate production, right? You couldn't buy at a reasonable price anything in Michigan for a while. Now you can. Time to Got move it. on, Mr. Criminal. Maybe so it's, it's time for hookers or heroin, who knows what. But you know, they're going to shift their business model. So it's the two-month, 12-month thing. You go, yeah. you make some hardcore money for the year. Then you eventually get shut down. I don't know if they're going to be able to shut it down in New York. I mean, when I'm in oh. the city, I see it everywhere. Yeah, you know what, though? Here's, here's 100 bucks. Go buy me some moonshine. You know what you can't do? Buy me moonshine. Why? Because you're screwing with the government's income. Ah, so the government is going to fucking Oh, it's about your model. health and safety and the government income. I can guarantee you yeah. that those Bottega marijuana yep. shops will not be Bottega marijuana shops if you're taking the government's dough. Got it. Hey, guys, Got we got 10% more police on the street if we could have shut these all down. How long will that take? 
There you go. Okay, so that's uh, what that's what's gonna happen. All right. For sure, man. Here's a hundred bucks. Go get me my moonshine. You're in Michigan. You must have a lot of moonshine around there. Yeah. No, that's so. Basically, history will repeat itself when it comes to this industry. You you want to take? How, are you good friends with the IRS? Do you use them as a bank? I know that when we're at your show. A lot of the marijuana companies think that the IRS is actually a place you don't have to pay your taxes to, and they're gonna use it as their bank. I wouldn't recommend that practice personally. Yep. Government institutions okay. which expect cash get cash. Got it. So that's how it, that's how it's going to be. So when they decide to crack down, it'll be done. Oh yeah. Oh, how about you know what? Here's another hundred bucks. Buy me some uh, beef produced and put through a butcher shop that is not government regulated. Got it. Can't do that. Hey, want to buy some meat? It's in my coat. That doesn't work super well. Okay. Um, yeah. It, it is. It is a well understood program. In, when the government's the movie, got their take, it's going to come in. I remember the movie Coming to America. He opened his jacket. He had the razors, the <laughs> combs. That that was the thing. I don't know. I was just making this shit up, but I'm telling you. Yeah. It's uh, a but... very well understood thing. The only reason cannabis is being regulated globally is because it's the biggest untaxed commercial stream that exists on the planet. Got it. It is the biggest yeah. untaxed commercial stream that exists on the planet. Right now. It's the biggest yeah. untaxed. Yeah. Think about Cause, it. Like, yeah, because even crypto is taxed. It is, if you think about the global flow of capital related to cannabis and tell me something that has more flow that could be taxed reasonably. Yeah, and there's no, let me think, there's gambling's taxed, not on a federal level, I guess state's tax, right? Yeah, but in a lot of countries, you go to England, everybody gambles, but the government makes more money than you do. Right, right, because they control, they control it. Sure, sure, sure. You know, so, there's an argument that human trafficking might be bigger. It's just hard to say, well, we're going to tax human trafficking. Um, but it is, it is one of these things. There's no policy wonk on the planet that doesn't see this as the most significant unrealized income stream for every government on the planet. Well, though, you know, you mentioned human trafficking. I was thinking of those visas, those tech visas. The government regulates that and takes a fee out of that, you know? Yeah, but so, that's still nothing, man. New York just spent yeah. more on weed like that. So, so this is, so then do you think it's in the next two, three years where federal regulation of cannabis and where it's the tax and, you know, what, well, what do you think? I think, so there's always a party, there's always a party after you have a patient when it comes always to a- cannabis. And all the money is not in grams, but in milligrams. So what I think is going to happen is they're going to have a federal scheme that's somewhere between vitamins and narcotics in the U.S., that regulates um, cannabis medically. And I think the on-ramp is going to be for the people who are 65 plus first. Why? Because they contribute financially to elected officials and they vote. And you can't tell somebody over 65 you shouldn't have it because you don't know what you're talking about because that's kind of insulting to somebody who's now a senior. And so I think in the U.S. they're going to have a regulatory framework for Americans who are 65 plus to start trials. Why? When you're old, you have two choices get older or die and as you get older you have more more aches more pains poor sleep anxiety diminished appetite and those are perfect cannabis symptoms and so i'm optimistic there's going to be an on-ramp which is medical secondarily followed by people who are first responders including military and that you will have a patient program that rolls out on that basis and then you will have a party and the patient program is relatively easy to get people to agree to because a majority of the states have a patient program of some sort already. The party thing, I think, is going to be more tricky in your country because 
you guys still struggle with booze in certain areas. Right? I don't think they're going to have a uniform. I think they're going to do... I, I've been saying for four years, states' rights seems to me the right way to go for a party because all you're saying is whatever you've agreed to, I agree with. That last time I checked is a good way to get reelected if you're a federal politician. Yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, so that so I guess going with your thing on the 65 or older, wouldn't the 65-year-old person say, I already get cannabis through my state? Why would I want to go through this? Well, because what they part? want to have is um, everybody gets cannabis, but what is it? What is the dosage? What's the methodology to know that it's a uniform extraction? What other ingredients are they commingling with it? How can I actually know that, like... If I want sleep outcomes versus uh, anti-anxiety outcomes, what they're going to want is some kind of federal overlay that says, listen, we're doing a best practices, real world data gathering. We're starting to have regulatory frameworks on testing and methodologies of delivery, optimized outcomes. Like that is what the federal government's here for is to give a better outcome for everybody across the country, not state by state. Okay. All right. Now I'm switching this for one second. So you've been in this industry for a while. How many years do you think? Uh, 2013 to now. So 10 Okay. So what, looking back, what are like some things that you're, um, you know, now that we're legalizing, like in, ha- you know, more than half the states here, what are some things that you're proud of looking back on, you know, from the early days that you got involved in the space? Yeah. Well, I would say that, um, it's become a global conversation. That's interesting. It's not just the U S not just Canada, not just Australia, not just Germany, not just Poland, but like, this is actually on the policy mandate for a whole bunch of places around the world including at least two countries which are in Southeast Asia, Thailand and Malaysia. So like that, that I like because I think what they saw was that, for example, when Canada had a party four or five years ago, people still show up for work. Our, 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 our rate of doing nothingness hasn't increased. And so um, I think what we've done is begin to dismiss more and more of the stereotypical perceptions, which makes it a legitimate file for discussion. Second thing I would say is, um, I think what we started to do briefly was to attract the capital markets to recognize the scope and size of this market. What's happened is all of the external things that could have driven that to continue have disappeared, whether it's US regulation, expansion in Europe, Germany being rational, Germany's doing a terrible job on the rules, um, have kind of gone the wrong way. And so, you know, right now we're in a nuclear winter for capital generally and explicitly in cannabis. Maybe the third thing I would say is, um, we still have, while well, we've begun science, we have done little to really advance it. And what I mean by that is, you will have like trials that have been advanced in the US where you have high dosage CBD that may or may not help people with, you know, children with uh, spastic conditions, et cetera. But like, I still think the number of cannabinoids, we know what they do and how we use them and how we turn them into high volume cannabinoids versus rare is super low. And like, I'm, I'm unbelievably optimistic that someone is going to figure out Instead of using Ozempic or whatever we call this thing, which is this get a shot, take a pill, whatever, we're going to have cannabinoids that are way less disruptive on your body, which cause you to lose weight because you have a diminished appetite in a more healthy way, as an example. And I think we have so little that we've done for animal care that, you know, it's super easy to get adults cannabis, but you can't get anything for your dog that's chewing your couch apart because it's anxious when you're away. And so I still think there's a huge science curve, but it started. Yeah, that is shocking in all fronts. I mean, from the Ozempic, you know, the semi-glutide, um, to animal care of dogs that are aggressive. Could there be solutions? Why hasn't there been that research? Is it there's not funding for it? Where, what would you say? I'd say, well, it's it's really weird, and uh, I got to jump to another call, but um, 
we've tested this shit on humans for a couple thousand years and we've never used it on animals, which is very unusual. Usually we test stuff on animals and then we test it on, let humans have it. Um, but because of the on-ramp, it's been a human trial. And so they don't really have the mechanics in place to say, how do you conduct an animal trial? Like first off, animals are very bad at smoking. And so you have to start working through what's the dosage and delivery gonna be. But what, what is an animal trial and how do we get to it? And so we're seeing Got countries it. like Chile, um, to an extent, Czech Republic being open to these trials, but it's not happening in North America. Okay, and and we're gonna have to do a part two of this because I want to get to questions like who are the assholes in this industry? Like who <laughs> who want who wants to slow it down? Who doesn't want to see it succeed? And I know you have opinions on it, so yeah. go to your call. And also, Bruce, I think you're speaking September twenty seventh, twenty eighth at the Marriott Mouth, the BZ Cannabis Event, uh, Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference. That's what Patrick told me. So if you're not, I'm there, then... baby. I'll show up. I'll show up. Is that the one in Chicago? Yeah, BZ Cannabis. I Check it out. I love your Chicago it's show four years ago. It's still one of my. Um... It's, Most it, positive experiences, and it's part because of you, Jason. Like, this one's going to be out of this world. All right, yeah. so you're going to your call, but can we do a part two in the next week or two? Or yeah, man, for next sure. Couple? All right, man. Talk Thank you, you so much. Bye-bye. All right, yep. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.